MSW Media. Hey, Jay, hey. there you are. Hello. How are you? Ah, I'm well. How are you? How's everybody? Thanks, everybody, for joining us today. Yeah, absolutely. Seems like people are leaving and then joining. Not sure what's <laughs> going on. <laughs> Well, we're, you know, getting the hang of the uh, live chat thing, but uh, I think we've got some great content for everyone today. Yeah, we do. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, I just got a notification from Twitter and Mark Elias that they're filing a lawsuit on behalf of Fair Fight, you know, which is Stacey Abrams' uh, right. nonprofit in Georgia. Have you seen this? I have not seen it, so what do, you, what do you know about it? Well, it says here, and this is the the motion here, pursuant to Rule 65 of the Federal Rules mm -hmm. of Civil Procedure, plaintiffs fair fight John Doe and Jane Doe by and through the undersigned attorneys file a motion for a temporary restraining order and or mm -hmm. preliminary injunction to prohibit defendants from continuing to file baseless challenges against lawful Georgia voters in advance of the January 5th runoff. In particular, they seek an order restraining defendants, their respective agents, officers, employees, and successors, and all persons acting in concert with each or any of them from submitting or causing the submission of further challenges to any voter's eligibility, participating in any poll watching or poll monitoring, photographing or video recording voters or election workers. And this is the people they're suing are True the Vote, Catherine Engelbrecht, Derek Somerville, Mark Davis, Mark Williams, Ron Johnson, James Cooper, and John Doe's one through 10. So a bunch of, uh, you know, right-wing uh, yeah. voter suppression groups, basically. <laughs> they don't call themselves that, but that's what they are in reality. So they so want a temporary I, restraining order and injunction against this kind of behavior. I, I, I suspect what, the, what, that is related to if you recall when we did our uh grab them by the gavel fundraiser uh for the ossoff and, and warnock campaigns uh, in georgia uh we spoke with jamil favors who was the um voter protection director for the uh, democratic uh, senate campaign committee and he said that essentially the major efforts that are going on right now uh, all fall under the category of signature matching um and uh you know if you if you Think about that. Um, what what individuals have is different elected county officials have the ability to say um, we are going to require that the signature on your ballot match, for example, the signature mm. that's um, on your voter registration card, right? And like that could have been twenty years ago. And I, you know, I don't know about you. My signature now looks <laughs> a little different than my signature does 20 years ago. And these challenges are being deployed selectively um, at the time. So this was like a week and a half ago. Uh, we were looking at a challenge to 340,000 voters uh, mm. across Georgia. And, um, and these are just nonsense, baseless efforts, right? Because uh, the Republican Party is the party of suppressing the vote. And um, I'm, I'm glad we're on the opposite side of it. So uh, I don't know. I want to be I want to be very, very clear. Uh, this filing just happened. 
uh, FRCP 65 is, in fact, the, the rule that allows you to pursue uh, injunctive relief in federal court. You typically, right, you have to make certain preliminary threshold showings uh, in order to be entitled to injunctive relief. So I'm going to take a look at it, but I suspect that what this has to do uh, is that this has to do with um, a, a series of bases that, that what they're going to show is, look, you know, here are 50 different perfectly legitimate voters who were thrown out because, you know, Katie the one time signed her, you know, <clears throat> signature with a little heart above the eye and one time with a dot above the eye and, you know, and it's obvious on, on the face of it that, you know, it's the same person, but, um, you know, th these are just really protectional cha challenges. So, um, yeah, that's what I suspect that that's about. And um, we'll we'll get on to this next issue too, because you know you and I can take a deeper dive into this uh, TRO in a little bit. But the you know, and I also want to talk about the the court ruling that you know a judge has determined that four thousand voters in Georgia um, cannot and should not be purged from the voter rolls, and that was another win on Democracy Docket. But we do have a question in the queue, so let's take oh, a listen yeah, to we'll our try. first question here. What happened to Sessions lying to Congress? And what happened to Ivanka's emails on an outside <laughs> Is that your dog, Torres? Questions. Yeah, yeah, that's the that's puppy going nuts in the background. But um, All right. <clears throat> Lily is not a big Ivanka fan, so. Yeah, so. once you mention, I mentioned her name, yeah, Lily does start to bark. I can, I can feel the Sessions question. Yeah. Um, it, it, in the Mueller report, Mueller had determined that there wasn't enough evidence to charge Sessions with lying to Congress because when he said he did not have, you know, I did not have interactions with any Russians, the question was in a, a, a apparently a broader sense about whether he had had any illegal communications with the Russians about sanctions and specific things. Uh, and so when he said he did not have communications with the Russians, he was referencing the, that specific question, and it was determined because, you know, without a recording of the conversation, you, you aren't going to have hard evidence of a 1001 charge. The, you know, Mueller determined they didn't have enough to, to keep, to, to, to make and keep uh, a, a criminal charge of 1001 against him, and that his answer was vague enough to not be considered uh, a violation of, of that uh, criminal statute. So that that's my understanding from the Mueller report. And the second part of that question, what was it, Andrew? <laughs> yeah, and what about Ivanka's email? Ivanka, um, which uh, I I can I can handle that one. Um, this is a direct do over of uh, the question that uh, dogged uh, Hillary Clinton in 2016 and directly led to her losing the election, which was, uh, did storing potentially sensitive information on a, an insecure server uh, violate the Espionage Act? In particular, uh, 18 USC section 793 F1, um, which makes it a crime to permit any document relating to the national defense to be removed from its proper place of custody or delivered to anyone in violation of his trust or to be lost, stolen, abstracted, or destroyed. And so on the face of it, right, you might think that this kind of behavior would violate 
that particular provision of the law. Um, we, <laughs> we, we actually did an opening arguments on this uh, back in August of 2016. Um, and what we found was that this particular statute, um, the way in which it gets charged, I, I read there are like 193 cases that have been brought under this particular part of the Espionage Act. I read them all. Um, and, <laughs> of course and, you did. <laughs> of course I did, right? And so what, what we found was that in every single one, this is this is an example of um, uh, we've talked about the concept of prosecutorial discretion, and we've talked about how um, sometimes the the way in which laws are enforced, um, particularly you know historically over time, and the and the levels of proof uh, that are that that a good prosecutor will look for uh, in order to bring their case. Um, might not be something that's apparent, you know, sort of from the plain language of the statute. And and this is one of those cases, right? So this says, right, it's definitely a crime to permit any document to be removed from its proper place of custody, right? Well, read literally, <laughs> then every time you misplace a document, right, you're guilty of a felony. Um, and uh, that would not make for a very sensible, coherent, you know, criminal justice system. And so, as it turns out in these cases, even though um, there is no specific requirement uh, that says um, uh, that that you you must demonstrate either an intent uh, to remove these documents or gross negligence, right, which is the language that's used in the statute, that, that typically um, these these cases only get charged when somebody has been um, so grossly negligent with the documents as to, as to demonstrate a complete disregard for national security, right? And so the mm -hmm. example I gave was, um, there, was there was a guy who uh, was supposed to, this was the 1970s, and he was supposed to shred these top secret defense documents. Um, but he had a couple of kids at home and he liked to knock off work early. And so instead he just threw them in a dumpster. Um, and this being the 1970s, kids went and were playing in the dumpsters, right? And so, you know, yeah, you put two and two together, all of a sudden kids were taking home these highly classified defense documents, uh, you know, because they're close <laughs> to a military base. And one of the parents like looked at it and was like, uh, Johnny, where did you get that? And Johnny was like, well, from the magic dumpster, duh. And they tracked it down. And the guy, and, you know, and the guy at his court martial, you know, completely admitted, like, oh, yeah, no, I just, I, I wanted to get home early. So, you know, shredding, I mean, this, this is 1975, like shredding takes forever. You gotta, you know, feed one mm. page into this, you know, thing that looks like a wood chipper at a time. And so, um, <laughs> so those are the kinds of cases that got brought. So in, in any event, uh, I, I do not think Right, and, and this is going to be a theme sort of for our Q and A here. Like, I, I, I do not think it makes sense to charge Ivanka with a crime. Uh, like, the crime was allowing her to have access to sensitive information in the first place, right? And allowing Jared Kushner to have a, a top secret security clearance when he could not possibly have qualified for that. Right? Like, those were the crimes. The the the, the hypocrisy is that what what was 
the singular issue of the 2016 campaign became commonplace practice as grotesquely unqualified members of the Trump family were not just permitted, but entrusted with essentially running the government. So that is, as usual, a typical long-winded Andrew way of answering your question without answering your question. But that's what happened with Ivanka's emails. Yeah. And I mean, we, we do. Uh, that is kind of going to be the theme today, because uh, you and I are also going to talk about the the scathing letter from Dominion voting machines to Michelle Carone. Right. That was um, the Saturday Night Live character that Rudy Giuliani brought uh, to discuss. Like her either. Yeah. <laughs> to, to, to talk about. Um, you know, voter fraud. And she had said she worked for Dominion. And um, she was the one who was questioning the Republicans like, huh, how many were on there? Do you even know? What's your job? You know, she was just being really uh, defiant uh, in her Q&A yeah. session there. Trunky McTrunkerson. Yeah. And as it turns yeah. out, she was just hired by a staffing agency as a temp to help clean the glass on the Dominion voting machines. <laughs> and... And so, you know, but she was kind of putting herself in the leg. I work for Dominion. I know what's really going on. And and so, you know, as we know, Smartmatic started this whole thing by by filing. Um, well, not filing a lawsuit yet, but but sending letters to Fox oh, News. Oh, Smartmatic has now. Yeah, Smartmatic has now filed a lawsuit. Oh, have now. But, yeah. you know, they sent a letter saying you better retract and a lawsuit is imminent. And so that's when. Of, of reading and walking what Fox News had set up, uh, Smartmatic voting software, Newsmax followed. I don't And then Dominion, same thing. They wrote some strongly worded letters to loot to what uh, Sean Hannity and, you know, a couple of other people from Newsmax and, and Rudy Giuliani. And then they wrote a letter to this woman, Michelle Carone saying, you know, keep your name out of our mouths, you dirty person. And and it was a really strongly worded letter. And your position, Andrew, is that maybe big giant corporations shouldn't go after individuals like this. Um, and this is kind of keeping in that theme with, you know, as we come into 2020, we get the Biden Department of Justice, we start trying to repair the Department of Justice. Uh, and put trust back in the independence of the Department of Justice. We have to make sure that the pendulum doesn't swing too far the other way uh, and that the law is applied equally. And so that's kind of what's going on with the Ivanka email thing. Like, like, hey, we're not going to go after Melania's parents for, for family migration, which Republicans call chain migration, because we wouldn't do that in a normal world either, uh, just because they're hypocrites about it doesn't mean the law applies more strongly to them right so yeah you know it's it, and and it's you know it also that kind of attitude is evident in my personal disagreement with reinstating michael flynn into the military so that he can be brought up and on court martial under the uniform code of military justice because that puts every other military retiree at risk for being dragged back in and court martialed uh, and and you don't want to while Flynn should rot in jail, you know, we don't want to bend the rules and the law to make it fit so that they will. 
because I that mean, can erode protections for everyone else. And so that's I, kind I of totally, yeah, I, I totally want to dig down with you on that. You, you've raised like nine separate things that I think are really, really awesome. And I want to add like each and every one of them. But first I have to ask you, did, did you see the news today that Michael Flynn on his website is selling QAnon themed t-shirts because of course he is. Um, uh, uh -huh. Yeah, and trucker yeah. hats and things. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. With, let's, with let's, their let's, stupid little slogan on it or what have you. The WW where we go one, we go all, whatever. Yeah. Um, right. Let's. Um, yeah, where they go one, they go none. None of it makes any sense. I don't even understand. <laughs> where, uh, we, where we go one, we go crazy. Um, so let's we've got a couple more questions in the queue here um, yeah. so before we dig into the pendulum swing and there's some other things i want to get to too so i'm going to just say them out loud and put them in the universe so that we maybe get them and that is um that there is now new information that cy vance new york prosecutors have hired a forensic mm -hmm. accounting expert firm uh, which is, again, uh, they say signs that the Trump probe is escalating. I say that it's signs that it's continuing on robustly as it has been. Um, but I want to get to that, too. But let's let's take a let's take another question. Should we? Sure. And then, boy, do I have so much to say off of what you just said. <laughs> yeah, I was afraid of that. <laughs> Can't we just leave the, it at what I said, Andrew? <laughs> this is just the Andrew and AG fight for time hour. It's going to be fantastic. Oh, I love it. Uh, all right, let's get to a question here. So I do have a question. First off, I do have a statement. Uh, I am a huge fan of both of your podcasts, and you guys have the only thing kept me sane, educated, and not freaking out about things over the last couple of years, and I thank you for that. So my question for this is, I know both of your all stances on the OLC memo about not indicting a sitting president, because if you arrest or indict him, he will not be able to fulfill the duties of his office. But ultimately, isn't that what the vice president position is for? If the president can't perform his duties for some reason, the vice president takes over. So wouldn't that be a good legal argument to make in court when invariably it would go to court challenging that memo? I'm surprised that that didn't come up. Maybe they figured it couldn't, but it might in the future. Well, Kiros, thank you for that question. Um, that is one of several arguments you could make uh, against the Office of Legal Counsel memo. The number one argument to me is the constitutional precept that no man, including the president of the United States, is above the law. Uh, I think that is probably your number one argument. But as far as the vice presidential duties, I think they're there, you know, if the president is incapacitated, uh, et cetera. But the other argument you could make here is is that Trump spent one year of his four year term on the golf course. So I don't understand <laughs> how it's taking away from his time presidenting when he's not presidenting. Look, look at us right now. We can't even get the vaccine out. We, he's not doing his job. He notoriously doesn't like to work. So I you know, there's I think there's several legal fights for that. But the main one is the separation of powers. But also just the the oath of office and the president's duty and that, you know, he is not above the law. No one is. And that is something just embedded in the Constitution, deep in the Federalist Papers and 100 percent has to be the argument against the Office of Legal Counsel memo if and when it's ever challenged. So um, a few things. Come to mind. First. Thank you so much for the compliment. That, that's that's very, very nice. And um, we really do appreciate that, right? Like, that's why we do 
our respective shows. And that's why we branched out to do this new show. And we're doing these uh, stereo Q and A's. Um, you know, the, the fact that, that you enjoy that content is, um, you know, what, what makes it gratifying for us. So thank you so much. Um, I just want to add a couple of points to, to what AG said. The first is, I think it's really, really important to remember that OLC memos are just a dude hired by the president writing a letter. Right, like they, they do not have the force of law, and particularly in the Trump administration, there is. But but even dating back into prior administrations, right, there is every reason to believe that they are designed to reach a certain end. Right, they they are, they are uh, written at the bequest uh, of. Uh, sorry, I shouldn't, I shouldn't use bequest there as a as a, uh, a legal term. term. Yeah. No, um, but, but you're you're right because remember, I, I, remember they wrote an office yeah. they yeah. wrote an office of legal counsel memo in the, like just last year saying that the president can block congressionally appropriated funds when it is specifically prohibited by the Impoundment Control Act. So the, the, the yeah you're right these are opinions yeah. in in the White House office of legal counsel when the president wants to do something they did it during Operation Stellar Wind and had that emergency hospital bed scenario with Ashcroft and. Uh, yeah. Comey and Mueller, where they wanted to be able to torture people, uh, and the yeah. you know and obviously legal said, yeah, absolutely, yeah. That's right. yeah. Mm -hmm. um, it, it, and and remember that structurally, OLC right reports to the president, so it will always structurally be biased in favor mm -hmm. of the executive. That's mm -hmm. that's their boss. So um, so that's sort of point one is that. An OLC memo literally is, it's supposed to be impartial and there are reasons to doubt that, but even if it were impartial, it would just be, I mean, it's, it's no, it has no more authority than you asking me as a practicing lawyer, what do I think the law is? Like that, that literally is what it is, right? It's meant to be a summary of what the law is. Now, here's what the law actually is. Okay. We don't know, but we, we can guess because we have. A, a Supreme Court opinion in the Clinton versus Jones case from the late 1990s. And that was President Bill Clinton asserted, uh, relying on the same arguments that are made in the OLC memo, that he was the president and he was super duper busy and he shouldn't have to sit for a civil deposition um, for alleged sexual harassment of Paula Jones. And the Supreme Court said, you know what? You are the president. It's really, really important that you be able to do your job. Um, but it's also really important that we have a judicial system in which people have uh, some measure of trust. And so um, while we can't craft a rule for every situation, we can kind of give you these two principles. And I am just about quoting from the Supreme Court here, right? That they are point number one, the president does not have absolute immunity from judicial process while in office, right? In other words, I'm the president, so you can't touch me is not a, is not a valid legal argument. And the second seemed to be that there was some measure of proportionality between the degree of the intrusion and the degree of necessity to the legal system, right? And so what the Supreme Court said was, well, because they, the Supreme Court does not render advisory opinions, right? So they can't say, 
you know, here's the way, it's, here's what it's going to be in every future case. But, but they can say, look, in this case, we think the harm of being forced to sit for a deposition is a very minor harm on the overall scale of uh, intrusion upon the, the president's uh, personhood. Um, and we think that not answering judicial process is a very significant harm to the justice system. So when we weigh those two out, yep, guess what? You're going to have to sit for a depot. Sorry, yeah. it's going to take a day. And but my, devil's, know, my devil's advocate argument is, sure, that was in that particular instance when it was a civil suit and it was a deposition where in a criminal legal defense, there is much more time involved and uh, it, 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 it proposes a much much more harm to the president in a criminal uh, action than a yep. civil suit would. That would be my uh, devil's advocate. Uh, really, large, really, really uh, good, really good devil's advocate. And I would respond in, in two ways. And this is where the original questioner's point sort of comes in. Right? The first is, yes, um, criminal I don't agree with anything is, I just said. I just no, want no, everyone no, to it's, it, it's good. We want to steal man the, the opposite positions, right? So, yes. um, so I guess kind of three points. One, um, yes, uh, the, the criminal justice system is more intrusive, uh, but also more significant of a state interest, right? Like the state has a direct interest because it is the only one that can vindicate uh, the interests of the criminal justice system, whereas private plaintiffs can vindicate, you know, personal wrongs in a civil suit, like in the Clinton versus Jones case. So in other words, the state interest is much stronger, even as the intrusion to the president is much greater. Point two is there are mechanisms that you can put in place uh, that will uh, defer uh, or minimize the harm in the criminal justice system, right? So for example, indicting a sitting president, uh, sorry, naming a, uh, a sitting president as an unindicted co-conspirator, for example, to toll the statute of limitations without actually walking into the Oval Office and slapping handcuffs on Donald Trump, right? So um, there are mechanisms that you can use to minimize that harm. Uh, and then the third is, is the point that our caller made, which I, I think is very, very clever. I, I, I can think of counter arguments. I don't know that we want to go down that, that rabbit trail. Um, but, but to say, look, even in the ultimate example, um, under today's practice of the unitary executive, um, the, the president handpicked his vice president, right? That's the person he said, I trust you to run the government in the event that I can't, right? In the event that I'm put out for surgery, that I'm, uh, you know, Dehabilitated by a, a crippling pandemic, uh, in the event that right, like in all of those circumstances, and you might, and I think it is a very fair question, and I think it would fall under this third category to say, yeah, it would be a a, a big personal blow to the president personally to remove him uh, temporarily from being able to perform his duties. But you know what, um, that person would still get. Uh, some level of being able to carry that out because they got to pick the vice president, right? This is not like 1835 where, you know, you're stuck with somebody else's, you know, presidents get to pick their own vice presidents to carry out their actions. Um, so I, I think it's a good point and that's how I would fit it into the overall legal landscape. Um, to, to go back to what you said, I want to I add um, a couple little things really, really quickly. First, um, 
I, I looked up the uh, the just filed complaint, um, and it is in fact about the 364,541 preemptive challenges being brought by uh, True the Vote across Georgia's 159 counties. You can take a guess as to where those 360,000 plus votes uh, are coming from. Um, so it, it was indeed the uh, uh, what I surmised. And, mm, um, good. And so it, it lays that out uh, and then says uh, we are entitled uh, to an injunction to enforce uh, the Voting Rights Act of 1965 because Section 11B uh, prohibits any person, quote, whether acting under color of law or otherwise, end quote, from acts that intimidate, threaten, or coerce any person for voting or attempting to vote or any attempted acts to do so. Right. And mm. it's very clearly meant uh, to uh, to engage in voter suppression, right? These are the folks that have had uh, that are trying to recruit, you know, citizen watchdogs uh, and have offered the million dollar reward um, that uh, the uh, Pennsylvania lieutenant governor so so rightly parodied on national television. I mean, these these people are. Um, to to say that they're engaged in dog whistles is an insult to my dog over there, which is, mm -hmm. know, she's barking like crazy, so. Right, it's a bullhorn. Um, yep. Before we get into writing the pendulum, should we take another question? Yeah, let's take another question. Those are great. All right. Can Trump and his associates um, be charged in some sort of tribunal, comma, I don't know why, I just said comma i'm so used to <laughs> voice to text but once this nonsense is all over um and and some of the dust is settled do you think it's possible for for you know trump manafort the, this international criminal cabal that has infiltrated american government for them to be tried in something similar to the nuremberg trials for the their atrocities against human life um, on the border and letting people die from COVID. Um, I mean, hundreds of thousands of, of deaths are on their hands. Will they face legal accountability in in any form? Um, and, and what... So, I think that the rest of that is probably um, uh, the second part of her question, but as far as tribunals go, let's take a, let's take a, a stab at this, Andrew, with the something you and I have talked about before, which is the International Criminal Court. People want to see Trump tried at The Hague, which I do not think is an option. Can you tell everybody why? Yeah, because the United States is not a signatory to uh, the International Criminal Court, to the International Court of Justice, to any international proceedings uh, that would potentially in any way threaten the sovereignty of the United States. And that's because we have um, a, a dysfunctional uh, two-party political system uh, in which the Overton window has been shifted so far to the right uh, that um, the, the Republican position is international law, like that's even a thing. Uh, America first, go it alone. We don't care about other countries, particularly shithole countries. Um, and you would think that the logical opposite of that would be internationalism, right? Like, uh, would be, hey, uh, the United States should be 
uh, a part of an international community, agree to certain treaties, and as written into the text of the Constitution, the treaties then, once ratified, become the supreme law of the land. That was the vision of our founding fathers, by the way. Um, that is not a, a, a uh, that is not a position that is well defended, uh, even among the farthest left flanks of the Democratic Party. Um, so, uh, so at the end of the day, right, what we saw. Uh, during the Trump administration, right, um, that that actually was not a huge departure from where the right wing of the Republican Party has been for 50 years, um, has been unilaterally withdrawing from treaties, uh, has been disparaging uh, international law, has been accusing the United Nations of corruption, um, you know, sending, and again, you know, this that, that war was escalated under George W. Bush when he took John Bolton, who had written publicly that the United States should withdraw from the United Nations, and made that dude ambassador to the United Nations, right? Like, that, that, that is on the same par with, you know, taking the guy who wants to abolish the Department of Energy and making him Secretary yeah. of Energy, right? Like, but we, I think, we, we I know think, um, gameplay. Yeah. I think probably um, another, to answer another part of Amy's question, the closest we could get would be a commission, you know, and usually a commission is uh, made up of a bunch of lawyers appointed by both sides <laughs> and an equal number of uh, Democrats and Republicans chaired by someone or a special counsel, uh, which is another route that has been talked about uh, considerably, uh, be, you know, because whoever the attorney general, who I thought he would announce today, but he didn't, but whoever the attorney general under Joe Biden is going to be, is it's going to look political if even if they just apply the law equally and go after any of these crimes. So that the thought was if you appointed a special counsel, to, to look into it, even if the president pardons himself and pardons everybody, a special counsel then would be able to still investigate uh, at, as per the special counsel regulations, whereas with criminal investigations, if there's a pardon, you can't really go after the criminal uh, element of it. But a special counsel or a commission could and they could uncover everything that happened and present evidence. And even if they can't uh, criminally indict someone because of a pardon, which, again, we could still challenge those pardons. Some say, some say not. But you would at least get all the information out there. So I think since we aren't a signatory on the International Criminal Court and we aren't a member of that group uh, and we haven't made ourselves subject to any international law, uh, that a special counsel or a commission uh, appointed by the next administration would be the closest thing to that. Yeah, and I, I agree with that. I think you need to have two separate concerns in mind, right? And the first is that when you have a special counsel or a grand jury that has been convened, their job is uh, to uh, develop information to make recommendations for in handing down indictments and prosecutions, right? To to yep. to seek justice in the criminal justice system. Uh, on the flip side of that are what I would put in the broad category of investigations, which include, um, as House Democrats have indicated, uh, ongoing congressional investigations, and and there. The goal, and, and I think this is an equally, uh, if not more important goal, uh, is to find out 100% of what happened, right? Uh, because you, you see this in, in the Mueller report, right? Like one, one of the things 
right? Volume two of the Mueller report very clearly in the unredacted portion lays out nine separate crimes uh, that Donald Trump himself committed. That's the goal of a special counsel document is to say, here's what we found in terms of making prosecutorial recommendations. That's why the introduction says, by the way, um, we can't make a classical prosecutorial recommendation because the dude's the president. So we leave it to you, Congress, you figure it out. Are you going to pursue impeachment? You probably should. Um, that, that's the goal of, of uh, a special counsel or a grand jury. Um, but also, right. notice that, that that overlaps only imperfectly with finding out the whole story, figuring out like exactly all of the terrible things this president did, not for purposes of punishing the president, which again, I'm 100% in favor of, right? Um, but also so that we know how our democracy is vulnerable and hopefully so that we can pass laws and inform the public so that this shit doesn't happen again, right? And we, we know sort of vaguely, right? Like that Donald Trump bought uh, a space uh, used to be across the street from my old office when when uh, when I worked in DC and was on Pennsylvania Avenue. Um, the the space that he bought for the Trump Hotel has changed hands a dozen times after being sold from from the government. Right, like it is not a profitable space on one of the most expensive plots of real estate uh, in the country. Um, and uh, we surmise, right? It, it's 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 not a it's not a big stretch to say we think that Donald Trump uh, violated the Foreign Emoluments Clause by steering foreign visitors to his stupid hotel, charging ridiculously upcharged prices. But we don't know all of the mechanisms that he used to do that. I'd like to find all of those mechanisms because I'm betting, right? I don't think Donald Trump is a particularly smart guy, but I am betting when it comes to shaking down foreign dignitaries that Donald Trump yeah. has thought of ways that you and I could not imagine, right? So that's why I think of it as sort of proceeding on two tracks, right? One is the investigatory track. Let's figure out what the hell happens so we make sure this never happens again. Uh, and then the justice track, uh, track which, um, as you point out, uh, there are interacts with the, the potential uh, the potential of a uh, of a presidential pardon, but um, that would only be for past federal crimes. So, in other words, any ongoing activity to cover up, and Donald Trump can't help himself covering stuff up, uh, yeah. would not be covered by a, a pardon. Uh, any state law crimes would not be covered by a pardon, and anything that's not explicitly laid out in the pardon is not covered by the pardon. Again. Right? Can you get around that? Yeah, you can get around it with some of the uh, incredibly broad language of, you know, any crimes now in existence against the United States as of the undersigned signature. You could do that, right? Um, but uh, but those are sort of the primary ways to keep federal criminal prosecution as a viable option, even and knowing that Donald Trump is wielding the pardon to benefit himself. Go ahead. And there's a third uh, option here that we have to consider as well, which is why the uh, Georgia runoffs are so important, which is why I love these lawsuits. Uh, it, because if if we win control of the Senate, uh, we can put chairs in the committees where so Lindsey Graham would no longer be chair of the Judiciary Committee, uh, for example, uh, or the Senate Intelligence Committee would have a Democrat in the chair uh, as, you know, as the chairperson of that committee. And those investigations can make criminal referrals to the Department of Justice, kind of keeping the Department of Justice and Attorney General's hands clean 
in that they didn't initiate the prosecutions or the investigations, but they may had criminal referrals after all the evidence had come out and depositions and testimony had come out and the evidence can be forwarded and, and criminal referrals made from those committees as they were in the House. But those subpoenas and uh, investigations and criminal referrals fell upon deaf ears because it was Bill Barr and, and the, the Trump Justice Department. So the, the, we have those mechanisms as well. I, I had a lengthy uh, two and a half hour debate with, with my friend, Professor Randall Eliason, ex-prosecutor, uh, all coming from the same, you know, left-hand side of the aisle over that issue, right? The, the notion of does it appear too partial, too political for the incoming administration to prosecute the outgoing administration, right? And, and I come down very strongly on the side that um, not necessarily. Right. Look, I get it. I think that it is important to put uh, guide rails in place. Um, and and uh, but at the end of the day, right. Trump's supporters are howling right now about imaginary secret cabals within voting machines to turn, you know, Republican votes into negative numbers. And I, like it's they are so untethered from reality that, that I don't know that. You, right, like they're going to argue that any prosecution is political, no matter what, right? So yeah, it, it, no matter there's, what, there's kind of a you know, that, right? If the punishment for everything is death, then you know, at, at some point the death penalty lose you know loses its uh, uh, its its value as a deterrent there, and um, and and that's kind of where I think I am with the you know QAnon yeah, Trump supporters, right? Like, and I think we can both so, agree. I think we can both agree if we leave these crimes unpunished, we leave the door open for future presidents to to take advantage of that. And uh, I, I think that's the problem of, of what happened with Watergate and the Nixon party. Um, and, you know, I think that run the real risk of basically if we don't go after these crimes in some way, we run the risk of saying, ah, you can do that then. That, that all, everything that you did is okay. If, if you look at and 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 that argument was um, sort of the the the, the gravamen of my response uh, to Professor Eliason, if you look at politics post the Nixon pardon, all objective evidence tells you it got more partisan, more gridlocked, more divided, more rancorous than before. Right. Yeah, it, you know, you can construct a counterfactual and say, well, it would have been even more super duper extra double strength worse if Ford hadn't pardoned Nixon. Um, but the data doesn't really show that, right? Like the data shows Ford pardoned Nixon. It was massively unpopular. It caused uh, President Ford's own chief of staff to resign the next day. Um, it, it was not popular in the Republican Party. It stayed massively unpopular with the American public for years afterwards. Um, and it, it is not hard to say that that was one of the kind of triggering moments uh, early on that led to, you know, the sort of shirts and skins politics that we have today. So I, I, I don't, I, I'm not suggesting that prosecuting Donald Trump is going to restore bipartisanship in America. I don't know what will do that. <laughs> All I'm saying is that I don't think refusing to prosecute will do that, right? No. I, 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 I think that, that we have to weigh sort of everything seriously, and I would want to take um, 
I, I would want to put independent prosecutors in a position to evaluate the totality of the evidence and then come forward and make a public recommendation and say, yeah, like these are these are the obvious crimes. Here's how I would prosecute this uh, in my own ordinary judgment. So um, want to uh, take another question or? Yeah, we got a few lined up here and we've only got about 15 minutes left. Awesome. So Can I play one? Yeah, hit it. Cool. It might be the rest of Amy. No, okay. I have a question about all of the talk about sedition violations with the different Congress people signing the um, lawsuit and the people bringing the lawsuit and all that. Um, what is sedition? Could any of these people actually be charged with it? And is there any chance anybody will be actually charged with it? Thanks. Great oh, question, Colleen. Yeah. Yep, Andrew, Andrew, Andrew you right in our wheelhouse. <laughs> um, yep, you, so you take this one. Sedition is speech advocating the overthrow of the government and has been criminalized since. I mean, it was literally the Alien and Sedition Act was one of the first acts passed uh, by Congress in the 18th century. Um, that being said, I think this is a terrible thing, right? Like, look, it, it is it is clearly um, treasonous with a small n, right? Uh, small n, small t, right? Not not <laughs> not meeting the criminal definition of treason, uh, but meeting the colloquial definition of treason, right? Um, that we have members of Congress, right? Matt Gates saying, "I'm going to do everything I can to stop people from counting electoral votes." Right? Like, that's a terrible, horrible thing, and anybody who voted for any of these people ought to be ashamed of themselves. And I think will be um, will bear that that verdict of history. Um, that being said, I don't believe, like throughout all of American history sedition has been wielded as a club against right left wing left leaning socialists communists anarchists right people opposed to the people out of power opposed to those in power and i i think it would be terrible for us on the left to say oh because we finally found our right-wing populist lunatic uh and now we don't like it that all of a sudden we're going to try and rehabilitate you know these um truly terrible laws that infringe upon, you know, what I think is a, a, a bedrock principle uh, of free speech. Again, not, not necessarily enshrined in the First Amendment. We could talk about all the case law, but we don't have time for that. Um, but, but, but yeah, like, fundamentally, I think you should be free to say, uh, to advocate for the overthrow of the U.S. government, right? You should be free to say, this system's broken. Let's get a better one. Now, maybe you shouldn't be elected to Congress if that's what you believe. Maybe you shouldn't be a sitting Article Three judge if that's what you believe. We could have that argument. Um, but, but, but no. I think like when you see the far left voices, and, and again, I'm often on the far left. But, but when you see those voices saying, you know, we should uh, charge Matt Gates under the Sedition Act, like, uh, God help me, like, I would defend Matt Gates. Um, and now you've made me say the most ickiest thing I. Possibly yeah, that's gross. Saying. That's that's yeah. gross, Andrew. Um, I, I don't know. I, I think I, I think that whole you know note before the uh, what was it? Bill Pratt Pascrell filed the, under the Fourteenth Amendment that no one should serve in Congress if they 
want to or if they've participated in a plot to overthrow the government i definitely question the legality of what flynn is doing uh but you know i would leave that up to the courts um I, I'm, I'm with you, but I, I guess, you know, like, I mean, the Treaty of Versailles didn't go great, right? So, you know, it's, I, I do understand the burn it all to the ground of anybody with the surname Trump or anybody who served in this administration and all of his criminal enablers in Congress. Um, I, I, and you catch me on a crankier day and I'm, I'm with you for that. But I guess I do want to give voice to the other to the other half of the argument, right? The other side of the argument, which is, you know, at, at, at some point, the problem is that we have created this system whereby 40 million people believe that uh, Hillary Clinton raped babies in the basement of a pizza parlor that doesn't have a basement, right? Like, and, and, and I don't know what to do with the QAnon Alex Jones crowd. And, and now, you know, they're going to be a forceful, I mean, it made no sense that they were a force, that they were a movement while they controlled all three branches of government. Uh, I could never figure that one out. Um, but now they're going to be out of power, at least out of power from the presidency and, you know, hopefully both houses of Congress. Um, and and uh, I'm terrified as to, as to what's going to happen with, with those yeah. folks. And yeah. So uh, I don't know. I guess I've said some inconsistent things, some some internally contradictory things, and that's because I don't think there are any easy answers here. So. No, that's true. <clears throat> um, uh, I, I, I know. The law. <laughs> the law is the law. You break the law, you go to jail, uh, and that hasn't been happening. And I'm upset about it. And I don't. Know I but uh, don't. I don't disagree with that in any way whatsoever. Right. I mean, we 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 talked about that. That that was, uh, you know, <laughs> week one uh, of the Trump administration. Um, Donald Trump uh, decided to name Jared Kushner uh, to the White House staff in blatant violation of the Anti-Nepotism Act. And I I think that's what set the tone for the entire administration. Right. Not. Not that he did the thing, but that he said, he, he gathered his advisors together and said, hey, uh, how can I have Jared Kushner on the White House staff? And and they all said, you know, Don McCann said, well, well, well you can't because that would violate the Anti-Nepotism Act. And I think Trump then asked a question that none of them expected, which was, right, but what if I do it anyway? Right. And yep. then we had four years of, but what if I That's, do it anyway? <laughs> what if I did it anyway? Uh, all right, let's go, let's go to the next question here. I'm going to hit it. Hey, Andrew, uh, Allison, have you seen Rogers? Uh, sorry, this is Mike Hudson from Cincinnati. Uh, have you seen the Roger Stone lawsuit where he's going to sue the uh, certain people in the FBI? Uh, does it have any merit? Is it a load of crap? Uh, thank you. Love you both. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Mike from Cincinnati. Uh, it's a load of crap, and it's not going to go anywhere. But what do what do you say, Andrew? He's he's not even a lawyer, and he's kicking your ass. Um, uh, <laughs> my all-time favorite Roger Stone quote. No, it's 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 it is crazy. Look, the thing Roger Stone is unbelievably good at, um, and and I seriously do have terrifying respect for him here. Is 
understanding exactly what plays to the kind of people who like Roger Stone. Um, and yeah, he's exceptionally good at that. And the way that he walked that line uh, and, and you know, stomped over it in some ways, right, with, with you know, posting the, uh, the, the crosshairs and Amy Berman Jackson while um, being under a gag order from Judge Jackson, right? Like, it, it's, he's, he's a master at that. He is a master at manipulating uh, public opinion um, and, that, and that marketing Roger Stone beleaguered champion of, of justice with, you know, Richard Nixon tattooed on his lower back or whatever. Uh, but, but no, I mean, his, his legal skills are um, yeah, somewhat I, a lot of reproach. I can't help but wonder if this doesn't open it up to have a look at a closer look at his commutation and pardon. Like, just leave well enough alone. Don't poke the bear, you giant idiot. Yeah, uh, but he's but, gonna, his brand is poking the bear. <laughs> but he's filed this loss, or he says he plans to sue uh, Comey and Mueller and John Brennan, um, saying uh, for basically for prosecutorial misconduct. Uh, and if, and I'll tell you what, if the if the Inspector General didn't find and couldn't find anything no court uh, no lawyer is going to find anything there's no brady material here that's missing um he i don't know why he wants to open this can of worms why he doesn't just go quietly but i he i honestly think that this lawsuit is pretty much doa yeah and, and you and i have talked about this exact issue before which is um at this at the same time that uh, the the uh, Trump supporters are crying, um, you know, selective prosecution now. In the Michael Flynn case, they were crowing about the absolute authority of prosecutorial discretion. Right. Yeah. Um, you, you, you can't. And, and the reason we filed the amicus brief in the Michael Flynn case was because um, both arguments are bad, but the prosecutorial discretion argument is the better argument. Right. Yeah. It is it is at least superficially plausible. The idea that, you know, you have to go prosecute everybody uh, is just I mean, you know, we said in our last Q&A, right, like the, hey, didn't you see that guy go in 90, sir, you were going 87 doesn't get you out of the ticket. Right. Right. Um, all right. Let's try to squeeze in a couple more questions here before the end of it. What about legal action against the people it, convincing them of all that insane fringe bullshit, like Prager and and Bannon and like these propagandists that have been rotting the brain of America's most gullible. Like we have a lot of stupid people and they've basically been brainwashed and sold this lie and fear the same way the fucking Nazis did. Like, this is not new to humanity. People did this on purpose so they could get away with the shit that they're doing right now. Like, are those people, the people that created the environment that made this insanity possible, are they gonna go down ever? Well, unfortunately, Amy, there's no law against conning unintelligent people uh, unless they are harmed and they sue you um so for example bannon is being brought up on charges for the harm he caused in his we build the wall grift where he got people gullible people to donate money to build their own wall between here and mexico and then they went and spent it on yachts and mortgages and and fancy dinners that is 
you know, that is criminal. And so for the like how we got Manafort, or at least until he was pardoned, it wasn't about uh, conspiracy to defraud the United States, uh, although, I mean, it ended up being for his taxes. But, you know, it wasn't about conspiracy with the Russians. It was about his tax and business fraud. And so, you know, when a prosecutor looks to see what they're going to charge somebody with, they're going to go with the easiest case to prove they're going to go with the the case that they know that they will be upheld on appeal which they have to by the federal criminal code and and so that's what they're going to look for so you have to find laws uh there has to and if you're going to sue somebody civilly there has to be harm you know you can't just uh, for example uh, when texas tried to sue pennsylvania and the other swing states um, first of all, they didn't have standing to do so, but even if they got into the merits, they wouldn't be able to show how harm was done uh, to the Texas Attorney General, who himself, by the way, is under indictment. But uh, so, you, you really got to do them do it within the law, you know? Yep. Um, Amy, I, I love that question. I have two things for you. The, the first is hearing you sort of re reminded me of that fantastic George Carlin quote of the like, I, I want you to think of how stupid the average guy is. And then I want you to realize half of them are stupider than that. Um, yeah. Which I, I've always loved. Um, I, I have some homework for you. Um, I want you to read Barbara Franz. R-A-N-Z. She wrote a peer-reviewed article um, for an education journal. It is called The New Right on American Campuses, Challenges for Higher Education. Um, it, uh, you're already terrified. Uh, this will uh, keep you up late at night tonight. Um, it describes uh, the relationship between uh, right-wing Billionaire mega donors, the Koch brothers, Foster Freeze, Mike Levin, the Harry Bradley Foundation, right? All of these, uh, the Richard Mellon DeVos Foundation, right? Like the, 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 the evil people, you know who they are, um, pouring tons of money onto college campuses uh, and starting basically astroturf groups um, to try and, and win over the minds of college kids. Um, and the scary part is that um, these alt-right voices um, are, are finding a home, you know, among the, the disaffected on college campuses, and they are using the same violence tactics uh, that right-wing authoritarians use um you know so uh it, it, mm -hmm. it, her, her article is terrifying you're going to read that you're going to come back to our next q a uh next week one week from today um and i'm going to give you more uh to read but but this is this is not a simple problem it is it is an endemic structural problem that we have allowed uh right-wing billionaires to amass wealth that 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 makes them untouchable um and, and it's terrifying um I, I, i'll leave you with this a third of the u.s population as of six months ago has watched a prager U video a third of the population they've gotten a billion downloads okay so um yeah, and 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 they're nonsense. They are slickly packaged nonsense from beginning to end. It is, you know, cargo cult uh, academia. Um, we got a lot of work to do, and there just isn't an easy answer to it. So that's why I love the question.
I'm going to try to squeeze one more question in. Absolutely. Hi, AG. Hi, Andrew. This is Brett, pronouns they, them. Uh, thanks for taking the question. I'm looking forward to a non-evil attorney general and DOJ. What do you guys think about Garland for USAG? <laughs> Darwin, like Charles? I think I think they meant um, Merrick Garland. I think oh, Merrick was. Garland. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, first of all, anybody is going to be better than we've had the last four years. <laughs> but, but uh, personally, my favorite is Sally Yates, though I don't think she's in the running anymore. I know Doug Jones and Merrick Garland are the top two. Garland is pretty unimpeachable with his sort of centricism, his kind of equal application of the law. But he does carry with him a bit of political conflict, though I think any attorney general, like Andrew, you said early, anyone he's going to pick, they're going to cry foul about. They're going to say it's a political hit job. Anything that they do is because they hate Republicans, uh, et cetera. So no matter who we put in there, we're going to get that. So let's make it good. Right. That's why I say Sally Yates. But um, I, I, I like Doug Jones more than Merrick Garland, um, but, you know, Doug Jones also voted for Capitol. So, I mean, it's it's tough. What do you think? I, I like Merrick Garland a lot, but then we um, lose a seat on the federal court. Um, and if we don't have uh, Republicans in the Senate to appoint another judge, that could that could be bad news. Although the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals has is a pretty well padded court with reasonable judges. Uh, yeah, but Trump did a lot of damage to that. It, 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 I want I, I want to underscore what you just said. If we do not win the two runoff seats in Georgia, um, one of the biggest consequences of that is uh, Joe Biden will not be able to name judicial nominees. I think I have a potential workaround for that. Um, you have to listen to our our show to uh, to hear that. Um, uh, I I have to say I don't want this to come off um, as a as a as a as a gentleman north of, of 40, um, I, I certainly don't mean this to come off in an, in an ageist sort of way. Um, my ideal, I, I love Sally Yates as the idea. My ideal attorney general would be somebody young and hungry and waiting to stay up 20 hours a day uh, to try and rebuild the, the DOJ. And I'm serious about that, right? And so yeah. um, it, it, I kind of like, <laughs> In, in every other executive agency, there's so much work to do behind the scenes. You and I have talked about um, uh, Michael Lewis as the fifth risk, right? I, I want the person who is the most competent in that position. In DOJ, I, I kind of want somebody, like, so for example, this is a totally off the wall and ridiculous suggestion, could never happen. I, I kind of would like a Pete Buttigieg in there, right? Like somebody who you look at it and you're like, well, there is, an ambitious dude, right? Like, and, and like, however you feel, and Pete Buttigieg was low on my list of, of, of primary contenders. Um, there's somebody who's smart and very, very ambitious and very, very hungry. And, um, and that's, that's what I worry about with the, that, you know, Biden is very clearly trying to go the opposite way. So I think I would prefer uh, uh, Jones to, to Garland um, because I think Garland would take a managerial approach. Um, and I want somebody who, who really wants to take- uh, Who'll dig in. Active. Yeah, who, who's, who's, who, who gets, who's angry, who hasn't seen all of this already and is just angry and has a little bit of that voice back there going, 
hey, uh, hey, ma'am, if 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 I make my name doing this, you know, that 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 would catapult me uh, up into the stratosphere. And and let me end with like, look, the way in which Joe Biden became a presidential frontrunner in 1988 was because he was the Democratic chair of the Senate Judiciary Committee that uh, torpedoed. Um, the uh, the Republican nomination of Robert Bork, right? Um, yeah. And correctly so, right? It yeah. was yeah. ideological. It was a political victory for the Democrats. Um, and by being partisan and by torpedoes, who oh, would have been a terrible Supreme Court justice? Right? <laughs> that, that, that rocketed Joe Biden into the stratosphere, made him a top-tier presidential candidate in 1988, the first, the first go-round. So, you know, there's a little bit of, like, I, I, I would kind of, if I had Joe Biden's ear, right, when it came to AG, not, not you, but the Attorney General, um, you would also <laughs> make an outstanding AG. Um, but uh, I, 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 I might bend his ear and say, hey, I want you to think back to 1987, and I want you yeah. to think back to the way you you ran a number on Ronald Reagan uh, with respect to Robert Bork, and, um, and maybe it's time to do that again. So yeah, that would be my all right. We, we're uh, we're five minutes over time, but we still have two hundred listeners, and we have one question left. I say we go for it. I say we hit it absolutely. All right, here we go. Maybe <laughs> I can push the button. Try it. All right. Nope. Nope, it's not letting us do it. I guess that's that's stereo saying we everybody's had enough of you. Stop, you know, you windbags. So uh, I I apologize as usual for uh, for being overly verbose. And uh, and your stuff was awesome. That's what we love you for. Uh, Everybody, we'll be back (laughs) next Tuesday, same time, Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern. We have a new show that's going to premiere. Uh, wherever you get your podcast called Clean Up on Aisle 45. And it's going to be about how we can balance the Department of Justice moving forward and repair the damage that Trump has done, along with I'll be doing a little bit of uh, sort of parallel stuff about the intelligence community and repairing the faith in that. So that's it for today. We'll see you next Tuesday. Of course, tune in to Opening Arguments and the Daily Beans podcast. Until then, uh, I've been AG. I'm Andrew. Thank you so much. Thanks, everybody. We love you. Mm-hmm.